Hello folks, Matthew Garnett here with In Layman's Terms. We are going to run the gamut here of, say, intellectual capacity. <laughs> We've got a little Joseph Prince lined up for you today. And that's pretty straightforward, pretty simplistic. But sometimes people miss what's wrong with Joseph Prince. He, he, he sounds fine. He preaches the gospel, unlike a lot of prosperity teachers. But what precisely is wrong with his preaching? We'll take a look at that. And then we'll bake your noodle with a lecture from Peter Kreeft on Thomas Aquinas and the simplicity of God. This stuff is this is stuff I'm still trying to get my mind around, which again is what we do here at In Layman's Terms. We take concepts that are difficult, try to break them down into layman's terms, and that's what I'm trying to do. And that's the process I'm going through myself, trying to get my mind around some of these concepts that that make sense. Uh, that and make sense of them. So we're going to do that with with Aquinas and the simplicity of God today and look at, at Kreef's lecture on that. We've been talking about contingency and these sorts of things as it, as it pertains to the existence of God and the proof for the existence of God, the necessity of the existence of God for things like morality and forgiveness, which is where we're going to kind of go with things next and take uh, take a little deeper look at uh, these first principle ideas that lead us to uh, bigger ideas like the forgiveness of sins and morality and so on and so forth. Before we get to all that, I'm happy to announce that we finally do have in place a uh, website. Uh, our uh, In layman's terms.org website is updated with the Sealers Project thing. The only thing we don't have there yet is a crowdfunding source. There is all kinds of tumult going on with crowdfunding sources right now, namely GoFundMe that are seizing donations, particularly with having to do with the trucker convoy in Canada. This is something I'm familiar with because I'm a trucker and because I write for the Federalist and I wrote a piece on this. If you want to go check it out, you can just do a search for Matthew Garnett Federalist and that piece will pop up, but they are in, in the midst of a national emergency seizing funds from some of these sites like GoFundMe or GoSend, uh, Gibson Go is another one that's been hacked. So crowdfunding sites are a little bit difficult to come by. I would say if you are looking to make a donation to the Steelers Project, contact me directly either via the In Layman's Terms website or better yet, go to thestealersproject.org and you can see our whole game plan there. That's really our official website for the project. You can go there, thestealersproject.org. Check it out, see what, what our game plan is for starting this truck driving school for former inmates and uh, underprivileged youth. That's, we're really going to start with the with the former prisoners, um, ex-cons as they're commonly called, and see if you know this would be a good path for them. Uh, then we can break into things like uh, underprivileged youth, maybe kids coming out of uh, the juvenile detention, whatever. Uh, get some of that going. And then eventually what would be really great is if we could expand this out into other vocational trades. So that's, but that's where we're going to start. And again, if you'd like to donate uh, to the project, the best, probably the best situation would be right now is just to contact me via email through one of those sites, either the layman's terms.org site or the Steelers project.org site. And we'll get together and chat about how we can safely transfer funds without uh, somebody coming in trying to seize our bank accounts or getting hacked or anything else right now. It's a bit of a nutty time, uh, but not not to worry. I know about the 60s. The 60s were crazier than this, I think, in a lot of ways. And so I think it's going to be okay. It's just people are a little crazy right now. And so we'll just work around them and do what we got to do. Okay. Again, we're happy to have those up. 
laymanstermsradio.org and the steelersproject.org will get you where you need to go, get you the information uh, as far as, especially if you were a donor uh, to those projects and getting that information put together. The steelersproject.org is really the, um, the aggregation of all of that fundraising we did put up on, on a website. So all that information is there so you can see what you uh, donated to. Uh, so far, if you'd like to go check that out, the Steelersproject.org again is the name of the site. Okay, so so much for the preliminaries. We again are going to take a look at a uh, little bit of a sermon from Joseph Prince. Again, I'm not spending tons of time on this. This is more of kind of just a uh, you know appetizer for for what we have going on in our podcast these days. It uh, it does get eyeballs on what we look at. Uh, some of our biggest, our, our largest downloaded podcasts are these ones we do on Joseph Prince or some other prosperity teacher like T.D. Jakes, et cetera, et cetera. People tend to look at these, and what we're hoping is if they can get a little, get their appetite wetted there, then they can move on to some of the, this more important stuff, shall we say, the stuff that, that really we should be thinking about as Christians and as human beings, uh, for that matter. So trying to get eyeballs on that is kind of a marketing tactic in a sense, but also I also like eyeballs on it because I like other people to come in and take a look at what I'm doing and say, okay, Garnett, you know, you're a little off here. You're a little off there. You're struggling with this concept. Let me explain it to you a little more simply or whatever the case may be. Good discussion topic for, for us maybe to, to get started on between you and I or my buddies around here um, that I go to church with and so on and so forth. So that's what we're going to do today. So without further ado, producer Isaac, let's get cracking on Joseph Prince. Here we go. Hallelujah. Amen. Now say, I'm greatly blessed, highly favored, deeply loved. Smile your neighbor and say, I'm too blessed to be stressed. (laughs) Come on, don't be stressed. Be at rest and be blessed. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. Are you safe? Have you notified your faces? Are you saved? Gloriously saved? Is your faith saved? <laughs> when I was in London last year, I remember passing by in a cab, London cab, uh, the palace, Buckingham Palace, and, uh, and there was no flag flying. So the taxi driver says, well, the queen is out of town. And uh, so they don't fly the flag when she's not at home. And you know what that makes me think? For us, the king is always in residence there. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen? So our flag is always flying. Where's your flag? Your flag is something that the world can see. Amen? Come on, smile and say, a smile is my style. Well, some of you are really baptized in Tom Yum juice, man, I tell you. Come on, look at somebody and say, a smile is my style. Amen? Hey, you can't celebrate in church, you can't celebrate anywhere. We have every reason, people, to be happy. We are completely forgiven. The world is trying to convince themselves they are happy. We are truly happy. There is nothing between us and the Holy God. Because whatever there was, His Son took it away by His death. Amen. And we are of all people on earth the most blessed and the happiest. Hallelujah. And we know that 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 we know where our home will be when our life on this earth comes to an end. A lot of people, this life on earth is the closest to heaven they can find. 
You know what? We have heaven on our way to heaven. Amen? Heaven is in your heart. And God wants heaven to come to your homes, your families, your workplace. God wants you to enjoy heaven on your way to heaven. David says, surely, not maybe, not perhaps, surely goodness and mercy. There are two power twins that follow you. Their names are God's goodness, God's mercy. You turn left, you smack into God's goodness. You turn right, you smack into God's mercy. Mercy is for when you have failed. Thank God there's mercy. Mercy rewrote our life. Mercy took away our file and threw it away. God keeps no record of our wrongs. When Jesus died, He paid for our wrongs. Now, please understand that I'm not saying that God just forgive us without the cross. God had to give His Son up for the payment of our forgiveness because justice, holy justice, must be satisfied. So Jesus became the satisfaction of God's justice. Therefore, God's justice will never demand for my punishment. Will never demand for your punishment. Because God's justice was more than satisfied. Because the payment was God's son. Are you listening? Whenever we feel uh, like condemning ourselves, we actually insult two persons. The one making the payment. We are saying the one making the payment did not do a good job. When he said it is finished, we say, uh uh-uh, not finished yet. To be continued next week. I can data. But Jesus said it is finished. What he did for your sins. It is finished. How many believe that when God cleanses you, he does a good job? Amen. And all your sins were future when Jesus died. Unless you are 2,000 years old. So all our sins until the end of our life are completely forgiven. Because all our sins were future when Jesus died. So, a couple things on this with... Pastor Prince, Joseph Prince, with Prince here. It's weird to call him Prince, so I just call him Pastor Prince. Maybe that'll make things more clear. The the uh, pastor, the preacher, formerly known as anyway. First of all, we talked about way back when when we covered Sarah Jake's Roberts. This whole notion of the the self help guru, the rock star, the magician, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, Joseph Prince here is doing the whole self-help guru thing, right? So if you ever watch like Tony Robbins give a lecture, he's telling people, repeat after me, say this, say, you know, give all these positive affirmations because they, you know, there, and then there is something to this idea of if you, if you have positive thoughts, think positive things, you have positive feelings, then the outcomes, at least from your perception in your life will be positive. Now I happen to think that outcomes are outcomes and your attitude toward them really in some ways dictates how you feel about them. So if you feel positive about a situation and you go into it and you get a certain outcome, then you feel positive about it because you feel positive. If you feel negative about a certain situation, you get a certain outcome, you're going to feel negative about the same outcome. <laughs> it's the same objective outcome. It's just how what your attitude is toward it. And, and again, this is what self-help gurus do. They want you to say these positive things, get in these positive mindsets. Because if you do have a positive mindset, so uh, whatever outcome that, that comes your way, if you have a positive attitude toward it, then you can say, okay, well, let's learn from this, let's grow from it, and let's move on. That's what self-help gurus do, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, however, the of course, you know the prosperity teachers like Prince here take it up a notch, and they will say that your positive thoughts, your positive affirmations have a... And here's here's a philosophical term for you, an ontological effect on the outcome to, of things. Your words have power. Now, Joel Osteen is a, the big guru on this, that if you know you, you name it and claim it, that's the idea. You, if you speak it, 
you speak it into existence. So when you say it and it happens, then your words have power. And if you speak negativity out into the universe, then negative things are going to happen. So you actually have this ontological power, this real power, this power that exists, that if you say something, you can make stuff happen, right? And so that's what Joseph Prince is trying to do here. And he's really doing the self-help guru thing, right? That whole routine. He's getting the crowd fired up, everybody getting in a positive mindset, positive view. He's trying to warm the crowd up so he can deliver his his quote-unquote sermon, whatever the, the case may be. The other thing that was funny was he almost slipped a little bit. Uh, and Joseph Prince is not as bad as, as a Joel Osteen. He's really not. Uh, at least, again, he preaches the gospel. Now, the gospel he preaches is completely confused with law. He confuses justification and sanctification all the time, which is what he's doing right here, which is the foundational confusion of law and gospel. And if you've been around the podcast at any length of time, we talk about this a lot. This is a problem even among us Lutherans. This is our distinction, really, our the distinction that, that Luther and the boys put forth in our confession is this distinction between law and gospel. And it, and it is, it is there. It is the, the, the best rubric by which to understand Holy Scripture. And so, but when you confuse that, then stuff gets confusing. And that's what, that's what Prince is doing here. But when he's talking about going to heaven, you know, he does, he almost slips up and crosses Joel Osteen and say, you know, it says, you're not going to have your best life now. Your best life's going to be in heaven, which is true. That is true. But then he kind of tries to cover that up and come back and say, well, we have heaven on earth and we want to live out heaven on earth, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, well, whatever, whatever, Pastor Prince, whatever you got to tell yourself, Uh, because he's leading into this idea of, you know, when he talks about it is finished, right? This is a big, you know, I've got this tattooed on my arm, if you can see that right there. That's what that means to tell us die. It is finished, which is which is great gospel truth. That means that. Christ's salvation, our justification before God, the the war between God and us is over. Peace has been declared. That's what, when we talk about peace in the Bible, we're not talking about having an internal feeling of goodwill or well-being. That's not primarily what peace means in the Bible. It's not what peace means in the Bible at all. It means there's not going to be a conflict here between you and I. So when Christ appears to the disciples after the resurrection, he says, peace what he's saying is, I'm not going to destroy you. I mean, if you think about it, it makes complete sense because the disciples had fled and betrayed him, and they they were they were cowards in this situation. Their their unbelief surfaced, and when Christ appeared, risen from the dead, it was an open question whether what Jesus was going to do. Okay, clearly this guy is God. He's risen from the dead, and now he's back. What is he going to do with us? Is he going to destroy us, or is he going to? Uh, forgive us, have mercy on us, which God be praised. He has mercy on us because we all have, we all struggle with that. Don't we? Uh, I mean, and if Jesus did show up physically uh, at our house or in our room or something like that, we'd be frightened. It would be, a, it would be a scary thing. And, and God needs to reassure us with peace that, that there is no conflict here, that the conflict is over, that, that, that his crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the father has, has given us peace. And so, um, while while that is that is there, it is finished. That is an ongoing idea that we should embrace and love, and and um, and, and contemplate quite often, uh, quite uh, as often as we can. Uh, what Prince is doing is, is he's taking it, and saying, "Well, in your life, you know, when you say, well, you know, I need to improve in this area, or I'm struggling with this sin. Let's put it more specifically. I'm struggling with this sin, and therefore I need to get better 
at overcoming that sin and figuring out ways to avoid that sin, getting, you know, figuring out ways to, to not do damage to those around me. That's what sin does. That's when, when we talk about God being love, and we're going to talk about that more later when we get into Aquinas. Uh, when we talk about God being love, we're talking about the action of love. And when we sin, what we're doing is we are doing the opposite of loving others. We are, in fact, harming them. So we want to get better at loving others according to the commands of Holy Scripture. We want to work on that. This is called Christian discipline. So Christians, especially Lutherans, <laughs> I'm talking to us, uh, discipline is not a four-letter word. This is something Holy Scripture brings up. So in other words, on this side of glory, which is what our church fathers have called the church militant, we fight. It is a fight to the finish um, until that day when we pass from here to there and we be become part of the church victorious. Yeah, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. So when somebody goes and sits at Joseph Prince's church and hears him talk about how, hey, if you don't, um, if you don't believe that Jesus has, has I, I, the the way he terms this is is a is a way that makes you think. Well, if I think I need to improve, I, if I think I need to get better. If I, if I think I need to work on following the commands of Holy Scripture in a more careful and deliberate way, then I don't trust the finished nature of the work of Christ. And that is where the confusion of law and gospel comes into play. He is confusing justification and sanctification. Very important you maintain that distinction because it will get confusing. Because while it is true that in our justification we are completely forgiven, we can't do anything to add to it, we can't initiate it, God, God has done the whole thing. It's entirely and completely an act and work of God, our salvation. Yeah, we would all agree with this. There is still a part, there, there still remains sanctification where once we have been called by the gospel and saved, that we grow in faith and works. That's part of the Christian life, folks, that we should not ignore and pretend like because we're justified, that the sanctification part isn't there as well. They're both there. And it's important that, that we make, make that distinction. So that's what a lot of preachers struggle with when, when making the proper distinction between law and gospel is you don't know whether they're talking about justification, sanctification. Good preachers are really good at being clear about, I am talking about justification here. In our justification, they might even say those words. In our justification, we are completely clean. We are free of sin. We are perfect in God's sight so on and so forth. And then they will talk, then they will go on to, that usually sets them up to talk about sanctification in a proper way as to not confuse it with justification. So because we don't discipline ourselves in learning to obey the commands of Holy Scripture, in other words, love our neighbors and love God more fully and better in this life, we don't do that to earn salvation. We do that as a result of it, right? So, um, so the idea that this life is going to be easy in any way, shape, matter, and form is, is quite the opposite of what Holy Scripture is going to say. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us, consider him, this is chapter 11, starting at verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He's talking about Christ here. And saying, hey, Christ struggled. You're going to struggle too. You're, uh, a servant is not above his master. goes on. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, 
nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. Okay, so Joseph Prince never talks about this. You will never catch him dead talking about this passage of scripture. And if, if he has, I'd love to see it, what he does with it. Uh, you'll never see a quote-unquote grace teacher. We we covered this some time ago. Many, you go, go back in the archives, you can see where we covered some grace teachers. But you will never catch a grace teacher preaching on this passage because it just doesn't comport with their theology. It's outside of their theology. Their their theology comes first, and then you know, then they go to the whole then they go to Holy Scripture to try to justify their theology. That's backwards. <laughs> you should go to Scripture to justify your theology and go forth from there. Um, but you won't see Joseph Prince speaking about the life of the Christian in this way. I've never seen it. I, now, again, I haven't listened to all the sermons. I can't stand his sermons. His sermons are very milk's host, you know, grace theology mixed with prosperity. I can't stand it. You only stand to listen to about, to about five minutes and then I'm done. So <laughs> I haven't listened to everything, but I doubt he's covered this passage. And he certainly doesn't talk this way thematically. That's, that's the other thing when you're judging preachers, when you're, when you're looking at your preacher at your church, uh, you should be judging him, and you should be thinking, okay, is this is this a theme of my pastor's preaching? Is is Christian discipline thematic in my pre in my preacher's preaching? And if it's not, there's a problem. Is God's grace and complete forgiveness the gospel? Is that thematic? So so these major themes of Scripture need to be present in your in your pastor's preaching. If they're not, you should ask him about that. Hey, pastor, you never talk about Christian discipline very often. Now, um, that. That could be that could be a problem in many quarters, or you know, in the evangelical world. Hey, pastor, you don't talk about the gospel very often, just in a straightforward justification type of fashion. You know, what's what's up with that? What's going on with that? Might might be might lead to a good conversation with your pastor. But the point being that that Joseph Prince doesn't preach thematically on Christian discipline because he's a quote grace teacher that believes that well. If we want people to behave better, we need to preach more grace to them. Nope. That is a complete confusion of law and gospel. If you want people to behave better, preach the law to them. That's what they need to learn. That I mean, we as as fallen creatures on this side of glory need the law for, for a couple of reasons. To, to, sh to show us, to convict us of our sin, yes, of course, and to instruct us. Sometimes we're just simply ignorant of the law. And, that's, and, it's in, and in a way that I would say is not sinful. It's not a sin to be ignorant. Even Jesus had to learn. All right? Now, that's a whole other topic for another day. But God disciplines us. And here's how, here's how I divide this. And I got this from, his name's going to escape me. Isaac, who's that guy's name that I got this from? Oh, you don't know. Doesn't matter. Um, his name? Dave Peterson. Never mind. Don't worry about it. The point being... Uh, what, uh, what, what helps me to distinguish justification and sanctification is you think of it like this. Beforehand, I was an enemy, before, I, before God called me by the gospel, I was an enemy of God. I was outside of his family and his enemy. When he called me by the gospel through my baptism um, and saved me, then I became an adopted son. So it's like, it's, it's, it's like this beforehand, I wasn't in the family. I was outside of the family destined for destruction. Um, I was an enemy of God. I was at war with him, etc., etc. That changed when I was called by the gospel and I became a son. And what do you do with sons? You, you discipline them. Right, Producer Isaac? 
what goes on around this place. Yeah, there's some discipline. Producer Isaac would testify to the fact there's some discipline that goes around goes on in the household. Now, do I get angry with producer Isaac? Yes, I do. I get angry with his behavior sometimes. And um, the, the discipline comes. Now, the difference is, is my anger with Isaac eternal? No. It's temporal. I am angry and displeased with Isaac temporarily because of a, a behavior, uh, of a sinful behavior he's engaged in. Same thing with our Heavenly Father. Does our, can we disappoint our Heavenly Father? Yes, we can. But God be praised, not eternally. We cannot eternally disappointment, disappoint him. That would mean he would damn us to hell. We'd to be eternally uh, in God's displeasure. That's what that, that's by definition what that is. But temporally, yes, we can displease God with our behavior and he will discipline us. Why? Not because he hates us, but because he loves us, right? He doesn't want us to continue in destructive behavior that's bad for us and everyone around us. He will discipline us out of that behavior. All right. And that's what we want to see Pastor Prince talk about. And he doesn't, right? Very simple. And he puts on his little show and it's, you know, and he's just not worth listening to. Very vacuous, not great preaching, very confused on law and gospel. Although he errs on the gospel side, preaches gospel and confuses it with law, etc., etc., as we've pointed out. Okay, enough of that nonsense. Let's move on to some stuff that hopefully we can make sense of because it does make supreme sense. Uh, with Peter Kreeft and his lecture on Thomas Aquinas and the simplicity of God. Hit it, Producer Isaac. So what is God? What is Aquinas' adult answer to his childish question? It's not a childish question. It's a childlike question. So it demands a childlike answer. And he gives one. His first answer is like the answer of Socrates. We don't know. Since we have no positive knowledge of God's essence. So all our words for his attributes are negations of attributes that we do know from experience. For instance, eternity, infinity, immutability. They're negations of time and finitude and change. Even our understanding of oneness is really negative, even though the word doesn't seem to be negative. Aquinas defines oneness as not divided or divisible. And that's the attribute that Aquinas begins this section of the Sola with, the attribute of God's oneness or simplicity. He is one, not many. He is not composed of parts of any kind. By the way, although Aquinas is a Christian and therefore a Trinitarian rather than a Unitarian, he affirms the simplicity, the absolute simplicity, of the divine nature just as much as a Jew or a Muslim. The three persons of the Trinity are not three parts of God. He's talking here about the one divine nature, the one divine substance, or essence, or being. He proves this oneness, which he calls God's simplicity, by a long inductive argument. He enumerates the nine possible kinds of composition and proves that each one cannot possibly be in God, one by one. God is not composed of material parts, or of matter and form, or of subject and nature, or substance and attributes, or essence and existence, or genus and difference, or substance and accident, or of any other composition at all, or of composition with any other beings. First, God has no material parts, because God is not a body. That's obvious to most of us today, but small children and primitives often think God is a body, because they haven't risen to that level of abstraction. They can't conceive of what they can't imagine. So... The thing I try to keep in mind when listening to or when reading Aquinas, listening to lectures on him is and and, and really, if you're going to study Aristotle as well, this this is the thing to keep in mind. What what Aquinas and Aristotle, Aristotle in particular, Aquinas kind of on the back half of that equation in a lot of ways. But the idea is we're looking for an explanation, a, a foundational explanation for why anything exists. Right. So again, we have the coffee cup illustration, 
where did this coffee cup come from? Well, somebody in China put it together and, you know, did all the things and shipped it over here and whatever. That's where the coffee cup came from. If I were to say to you, the coffee cup, coffee cup came from nothing, nothing created it, you would look at me like I'm nuts. However, this is how some physicists and those who are hell-bent on being atheists will explain the beginning of the universe. It came from nothing. All right. Again, as you might have heard me say many times, as long as your nothing is om- omniscient, omnipresent, <clears throat> and um, uh, present, knowing, omnipotent, and powerful, uh, fine. The universe came from nothing. Yes, producer Isaac with a question. How can there be nothing without there being... How can there be nothing and then something without there being something to make that something? Exactly right. How can something come from nothing? Okay, so people think, you know, even even some of my own fellow Christians think I'm crazy because I believe that I receive the Lord's body and blood in the supper. That the Lord is present in, in Holy Communion. I think that's crazy. All right. Atheists in particular think I'm crazy because I believe in God and that's just a bunch of superstitious nonsense. It's crazy. But at the end of the day, they believe the whole, everything that is, came into existence from nothing. That's crazy. That makes no sense. Just as producer Isaac pointed out. Nothing, something can't come from nothing. We don't use this to explain anything else, let alone the beginning of the universe. So for everything else, we're going to explain it in terms of, again, we talked about contingency, and that's really what we're going to focus on this week, this idea of contingency, because it is a, it is confusing. It's hard for us to talk about things without talking about contingency. Where did producer Isaac come from? He came from me. Where did I come from? I came from my dad, right? We talk about things in terms of contingency, but when we talk about non-contingent beings, a being that is not just not simply something that is being, and we're going to talk about that too, but is being in and of itself. Um, that is hard. That is a hard concept for us to get our minds around, but it's a better explanation than nothing. <laughs> so, so that's what, that's really what Aristotle was driving toward when he got to his unmoved mover is something that is eternal. That could, could that had the attributes to create everything. All right. And so the way we've described this this being of beings, this this uh, this what, what we talk about, pure formal cause, is we've described it as God. Now, Aristotle called it the unmoved mover. We call it God. If the if the atheists want to call it nothing and assign all these attributes to it, okay, I guess fine. We can call it nothing. I don't care what you call it, but but something doesn't come from nothing. So. Here's, here's the reason why Kreeft is pointing this out and why, why Aquinas hits on it, especially the simplicity of God, is because something can't come from nothing. So if, we ha- if, if in any way God is a contingent being, then we got a problem. Why? Because something had to create that aspect of God. So if God has parts that he's dependent on, that means that he is lacking other parts that he doesn't have. See, that's what that's what divine simplicity is is driving at. It's not that you know, like I you know, according to producer Isaac, I can be a simple, stupid man sometimes. Okay, right. That's not what that's not what uh, Aquinas is talking about when he's talking about divine simplicity. What he's talking about is is 
that God cannot have parts. Here's how our confessions put us, and most uh, most church, but major church bodies that come from any sort of tradition have this article of faith. Uh, but here's then here, this is the first article of our confessions. All right, it's a, it's of God. It says the church, our churches, with common consent, do teach that the decree of the Council of Nicaea concerning the unity of the divine essence and concerning the three persons is true and to be believed without any doubting. That is pure Aquinas. All right, and and th- I mean this is this is understanding of the nature of God going all the way back, really. But Aquinas articulated the most. You heard Kreef just talk about that, about the three persons. They're not parts of God. They're persons. And the unity, the oneness of the divine essence, that is Aristotelian Aquinas language when you start talking about essence. Okay, so you... you going to try to iron this out as much as we can with it, but there's this distinction Aquinas makes between essence and existence. We'll get into that a little bit. Um, is true and to, to be believed without doubting. Now, why is that important? Because again, we know in a finite universe, we know now scientifically that the universe is finite. Before it was believed that the universe could have been eternal. That's why that's where we could have had the infinite regress. And see, Aristotle had the insight to see that the universe wasn't eternal. If, if, the, if the universe isn't eternal, you can't have an infinite regress going back, going back. So, so how did producer Isaac get here? He can't, got here from me. How did I get here? I got here from my dad. How did my dad get here from his dad? So on and so forth. And, and on and on and on, add infinite, into eternity. If you had an eternal universe, yes, you could do that. Just wait all it just never ends. It goes back and back. There's contingent beings all the way back, and you can't you can't ever track it down. There's not a beginning because it's eternal. And we can't get our mind around eternal. But we have found, we have scientifically proven. Uh you know, um Einstein and the boys showed this that the universe is not infinite. It had a beginning. This was a huge problem for a lot of these scientists because they were atheists. So, so in a finite universe, we can't have an inf- infinite regress. There has to be a beginning. Otherwise, we would fall into that trap of something coming from nothing. And that is, that is what Aquinas is trying to explain here. If you have a God with parts, quote unquote, then you have an incomplete God. He has to be whole. He has to be unified. So, so the simplicity of God is, is that he does not have parts. That's what we're describing. So again, you heard Kreef talk about how we describe, can really only describe God in negative terms. So infinite, he is boundless. He doesn't, he's not bound to time, right? So that's a negative uh, way of describing God. God without parts, he is, he, that's the, that's divine simplicity, that's what we're talking about. He cannot have parts because he's not contingent. If he has parts, if 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 he's one part uh, Father, one part Son, and one part Holy Spirit, he's not complete. The unity breaks down, and now now he's a contingent being, or he lacks something that he does not have, and he is therefore dependent on something else. That's contingency. All right. And, and that's what you have to think about. If you think of, if you conceptualize God in a way where he's dependent on something before him, you, now you're, now you're back to infinite regress. Okay. Well, what's he dependent on? And then what's that thing dependent on? And then what's that thing dependent on? See, and that's what Kreef's trying to describe. 
Aquinas describing that that we've got to describe God in a way, and 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 I think Aquinas is fairly spot on. You can't you can't describe him in positive terms. You can only describe him by analogy. God is like this. He is not this, but he is like this. All right, and that he then he's with that part. So the, our confessions go on to say um, that is to say there is one divine essence. Again, there's that word essence which is called and which is God. This is, again, all that says, all that's, all our confessions is saying is we have decided in our, in our linguistics to call this thing God. Not nothing, not the flying spaghetti monster or anything else. We've decided to call it God, right? Eternal, without body, without parts, of infinite power, omnipotent, infinite wisdom, omniscience, and goodness, the maker and preserver of all things, visible and invisible, and yet there are three persons of the same essence and power who are all, who are all co-eternal, who also are co-eternal, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the term person, quote-unquote, see, they, they, our confessions are very careful to make this distinction, just like acquaintances, it's important. So, And the term person they use as the fathers have used it. And I think specifically they're referring to Aquinas there. And other fathers too. To signify not a part or quality in another, but that which subsists of itself. All right. Very careful language our, our confessions use. Okay. And, they, and then they go on to say, we condemn all heresies which have sprung up against this article. So the Manichaeans, blah, blah, blah. All right. Um, so, so this is very important because, again, we're, we are, we are avoiding that notion of ha- having contingency as the starting point. Because again, if, if God is contingent, then who, it, that question comes up all the time. It's a, it's a very simple question, but valid. So if, if God began the universe, who, who, who created God? That's the idea. And that's exactly what Aquinas is trying to answer. And that's what we've tried to answer in, in the Western tradition, in, in Western Christianity, well, in Eastern too, but in Christianity, we've tried to answer. And this goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, where the Shema, right? Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's a huge, big deal statement. I mean, pregnant with all kinds of philosophical possibilities. More than, than, we, than probably you realize when you uh, first read that. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, is one. That's, that is big deal stuff that which goes back that gets fleshed out more in our articles of faith, especially the Lutheran confessions are very careful about fleshing this out because it's important. It's important because um, if, if we, if we're not worshiping the true God, we got, we got to go figure out who he is. We've got to find this one being, this one divine essence, which is called God. Otherwise, we're not talking about God properly anymore. All right, he's, He becomes a contingent being, dependent on something else, or lacking something else, which means he has to depend. So, so in other words, I'm made up of parts. Right, I have arms and legs. I do not have a, um, uh, a high-powered, high-torque engine and a cab and a trailer with which to haul steel on. If I want to haul steel which is what I do for a living, I have to have a truck and a trailer. So I am dependent on that, on that which I am missing to get that work done. See? So I'm made up of limited parts. 
God cannot, that cannot be with God. Otherwise, now he's dependent on something else in order to, and, and therefore not properly God. He's just another being which might have, you know, some sort of super abilities, but not properly God. All right. And we then, again, in a finite universe, we've got to go back and look for what does that super being, whatever you want to call it, you know, think of it angels. Angels might have more abilities, powers. They might be super beings compared to us, but they're contingent on God. So we go, God is not a super angel. And if he were, we would go looking for the being that created him. See, right? So, and we can't have this infinite regress. We live in a finite universe. Otherwise, we end up into the Gothic Cup came out of nothing situation, which is ridiculous and silly, right? It's absurd. All right, let's go on with uh, with Kreeft here, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, see if we can get our heads around it a little more. In concretely, I remember when my son was about five years old, we were driving past the cemetery, and I said to him, do you know what that's for? And he said, I think so, but you tell me. So I thought maybe he has a little bit of a fear, so I'll try to relieve it. I said, well, that's where they put people's bodies when they die. And he shivered and said, oh, where do they put their heads? You see, he was thinking very concretely. He wasn't distinguishing body and soul, but body and head, because body and head are both concrete. Well, some people are still like that when they're adults. Some people don't rise to that level of abstraction, and they can't conceive of anything they can't imagine. I think the ancient pagans were often like that, because even the greatest of the gods of the pagans, like Zeus and Jupiter, had bodies. Aquinas' theology is as different from their theology as our science is different from their science. Well, if God doesn't have a body, can you prove it? Yes, here's Aquinas' proof that God is not a body. Any material body, he says, is composed of physical parts, because that's the nature of matter. Matter is that which is spread out in space, and thus divisible into parts. So that's one reason God is not a body, because he's not composed of parts. Aquinas gives a second reason, that he's perfect. That's really Aquinas' controlling assumption. And spirit is more perfect than body. Spirit can't be cut in half, body can. You can cut your body in half, you can cut your body and your spirit apart, but you can't cut your spirit apart. You can't have half a spirit or half a soul. And spirit is more perfect than body because spirit is active, whereas body is passive. Spirit pushes body around, body doesn't push spirit around. And the higher a being is in the scale of perfection, the more active it is. So the argument is God is supremely perfect, therefore supremely active, therefore supremely spiritual or immaterial. Yeah, so again, our uh, our confessions uh, talk about, let's see, yet there are three persons. Uh, yeah, that is to say there's one divine essence which is called and which is God eternal without body, without parts of infinite power, wisdom, etc. Okay, and again, keep in mind contingency. We're trying to, we're trying to describe a non-contingent being. We've already come up with some help from Aquinas, which is to say we, we can't describe him in positive terms. We can only describe him in negative terms. Okay. Uh, and, that, and that's not, that's, that we're not talking about in a, in a bad way. We can describe God by analogy. Aquinas will go on to talk about this. So we say, you know, the cup is good, right? We say God is good, uh, but, but we only talk about God's goodness in, in terms of analogy. So see, he's like the cup in the sense that he's, he's, God is useful. I mean, this cup is useful for holding coffee. God is useful. We can, that's analogy, but God, but, but God is not good. Like the cup is good. God is good in a different way. All right. Um, and the best way to, to do a holistic explanation it, it, again is to describe him as what he does not have. Right. So, um, again, that's so Kreef's talking about, you know, the, the ancients and how they had several gods with bodies. Well, we don't, that's not 
you know, Zeus or Thor or whatever those got, you know, those ancient quote unquote gods, they're not, they're not gods at all in, in the proper sense of the term that we understand it in what, in the Western Christian tradition, they are super beings of some sort. That'd be a more accurate way to describe them because while they ha- might have some powers that would appear godlike, like they were God, they are not, they're not God. They are contingent beings. And when you have a body, uh, this is this is really what Aquinas is is driving at, and he, and he, and he talks about it in a couple of different ways why why you know he can prove God doesn't have a body. But the biggest reason is if you have a body, you're contingent, you're limited. Like I said, I am limited to what my body can do. My body cannot haul forty five thousand pounds of steel I beam. Can't do it. I need I'm I'm dependent on my truck and trailer for that. And when you have a body, no matter how what superpowers you may have, I mean, I might have a superpower in my body to haul steel like that, it is still limited. And therefore, you still become dependent on others. And that's why the ancients had many gods, because what they would do is they would take things, these analogies of God, like God is love, God is goodness, God is strength, his power, his, his wisdom, his goodness. The, he would take these eternal attributes of God, which are... You know, again, we're going to talk about that a little more. God, God is, God is not love, right? God, God doesn't love; He is love. I mean, Saint John teaches us this, and and Creep's going to talk about this as well. But it's important to point out. You know, Saint John teaches us in in First John four, verse eight: Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. It's important that it's put that way. God is love. God does not, God loves. Okay, sure, we can say that, but by analogy only. What we really mean to say is God is love. And, and I don't even think St. John really, let's, you know, let's just read the passage. Beloved, let us love one another for God, for love is from God. Love is from God because God is love. Okay, so far so good. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this love of God, or from God, God's love was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. Kind of a reprise of his writings earlier in in his gospel, chapter 3. Into the world so that we might live through him. In In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Now, there, St. John is talking by analogy. Because God, God doesn't love. He is love, right? St. John just set that up. So it's, so it's easiest for us to make that logical move that by analogy, God loves, right? God is, so we can say that, know what we mean by that. So, because if, if love is just a part of God, right? He's, he, he's not made up of parts. If God, if, if God is an aspect or an attribute of God, we got a problem because now he's made up of parts, which means that somewhere along the line, we've got love, power, to, you know, so on and so forth, that he's missing something. He's going to become contingent. See, that's a, that's, a, that, that's a hard one for me to wrap my mind around. God is love. Does God love? Yes, but technically, that's not going far enough. All right? And that's what, that's what the ancients did. They would take these, these, what they would perceive as analogous attributes to God, like love, like power, Etc. Intelligence, wisdom, and they would they would string together this pantheon of gods that would complete that would uh, complete all the, that that goes on in reality. When it when it when really all they had to do is listen to Moses 
in Deuteronomy when he said, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? Um, it's not it's not these many powerful beings that make up everything that's real. It's this it has to be this one powerful being that uh that is being itself. That's that's really what has to be. Right? And and again, uh you have to really think on a high level of of abstraction. In other words, be able to 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 think outside of the realm of uh you know uh, of of what exists and, and think of it in, in abstract terms, larger abstract terms, right? Uh, so, so in other words, like Kreef pointed out, when we talk about we bury a body, we're not talking about we're burying a, a body with a severed head. That would be quite literally what you you would say if, oh, I buried the body, but I didn't bury the head. <laughs> uh, we don't mean that. We, we, we're we abstracting the physical body to say when we bury a body, mean the whole thing. Yeah, Okay. So that's what we're after there. Let's uh, see if we can get a bit more in here. we got to close it off for this week. Second, God is not only not physically composed, he's also not metaphysically composed in any way. The other eight compositions that Aquinas will prove God doesn't have are all metaphysical compositions. And the first one is the composition of matter and form, using Aristotle's philosophical vocabulary. Matter here means not just atoms, they're already formed, but whatever a thing is made out of. And form doesn't mean just shape, but whatever a thing is made into what distinguishes it from other kinds of things. So matter is potentiality to being informed by different forms. Aquinas proves that God is not composed of matter and form from the same premise that he used to prove that God is not composed of physical parts, the premise that God is supremely perfect and therefore supremely actual and not potential. He writes, matter is in potentiality, but we have shown that God is pure actuality without any potentiality, hence it is impossible that God should be composed of matter and form. Aquinas offers at least two or three other proofs of each of these conclusions about God's attributes, but I'm selecting only the one that's the simplest and most obvious each time. A practical corollary of the point that God has no matter and no potentiality is that God can't get angry or fall in love or change or have any other passion. He's all action. Even his love is purely active love, agape or charity, not passive love, not eros, not falling in love. This is a difficult one to get your mind around because we, we see the person of Christ weeping. We see the Holy Scripture talking about God is getting angry, having these these passions. Uh, and, and Aquinas does address these. So, so what we're really talking about here is what theologians have called the impassibility of God. In other words, God in his God does not get get angry, doesn't have eros, he doesn't have romantic feelings uh, because those again would make him contingent. That would cause him to change, and if he changes, now he's come become he's moved from being a non-contingent being to being a contingent being. And again, I, ontologically, I'm not even putting that quite precisely enough because God is being. God isn't just a being. We're going to hear Kreef talk about that maybe next week, but God isn't just a being. He is being itself. Because if he's just a being, that means, okay, there's many other beings. Now we've got contingency. Now we've got the infinite regress. Ugh, right back to square one. That's why That's why Aquinas is just brilliant, and especially brilliant so in his sim- in simplicity. And he does get some of this from Aristotle, which, you know, I don't think Aristotle necessarily got it from Moses. But if you would have looked, Moses beat him to the punch on this a long time ago in one line. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Aristotle been like, yes. That's exactly right. 
whatever this thing is, is one thing. Simple, without parts, non-contingent, right? So, um, so to, 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 to have emotions that change, emotions that are in flux, means that the, the perfection, you, you lose the perfection. And if you lose perfection, then now you become a contingent being. Now you just become a, a being among beings. And I, again, I'm, I'm using the word being really in the colloquial sense more than the analogous sense. God is like a being, all right? He's not a being. He is being. God is not, uh, does not love. He is love, right? And it's pure, pure action. So in other words, so God cannot, the reason God does not have, quote, we can describe God as not having potential. It's not like I, I say to Isaac, Isaac, you have no potential. And he goes, oh, dad, that's a terrible thing to say to me. <laughs> when, it, when really, no, what I mean is, Isaac, what I mean by potential is you've, you've fully realized all the potential you could possibly have, and therefore you've exhausted your potential. He is a perfect being. No, I'm not. He's, he says, no, I'm not, which is true, which, which means that, so I can say to Isaac, Isaac, you're a very, very smart young man. You have the potential to be whatever, you know, a computer programmer or something like that, okay? Um, God's not like that. He's already, boom, he's already fulfilled all the potential there is possible to fulfill. He can't, there's no more potentiality for God. That's why God has, quote, no potential. Because he's already, he already is fully potential. He, he's fully actualized. Right? And if he's not, again, always come back to this. this when I get confused about this, what I always come back to is if, it, if not, now we're looking for another being that is. We don't have God. Well, this is a super being. Uh, great as he is, he ain't the one we're looking for. We're looking for the one who made the cup, ultimately, and has the attributes to make the cup. Yeah? And this this becomes important for morality, uh, for the forgiveness of sins later on. So we, so we really want to lay this foundation because we want that, you know, it, especially, again, like I said, for morality, the authority, time, and scope piece. Huge, big deal. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit used to bring me back to the church, to faith. We get was again Richard Dawkins speaking authoritatively about you know how we shouldn't believe in religion and we should punish parents who teach religion to their children. And I'm like, who does this guy think he is? He doesn't have the authority, moral or otherwise, to tell me what's right and wrong. But who does? That's what we're looking for. God. God does. Producer Isaac says, and he's precisely right. And not just, you know, not just a super being. We want the God who started this thing. We don't want to get in the trap of the coffee cup came from nothing. Something was created from nothing. Because that's that's ridiculous and absurd. We don't use that. I mean, the reason it's ridiculous and absurd is because think about how somebody would sound if they said this coffee cup came from nothing. And you're going to have some brilliant PhD sit there and tell you that the whole, everything that there is was created from nothing? Come on. No, that's absurd. That's an absurd and lazy explanation requires more thought. All right. So I think we're on our way with this. The idea, again, the idea really, I want to crystallize with you and with myself is we've got, we've got to start trying to, you know, get our mind around a non-contingent being an ontological reality. Maybe that'd be a better way to say it. an ontological reality that is not contingent. Hard to think about, isn't it? Hard to think about because we 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 describe everything else we describe is based on contingency. It's hard to get around that, but we'll get there. 
because, you know, again, it's important for all these other things that we're going to talk about very practically. And Aquinas does as well. Okay, well, time's up for this week. Please go to thestealersproject.org, especially all you donors out there, our big donors or little donors alike. Check out what you gave your money to. It is right there, and you'll see all of it and our game plan there. Uh, if you've got, got some ideas for donations, how we can get this thing kicked off, that's what we need now is funding. Uh, let us know. Uh, again, this is not this is not one of those deals where you're going to be able to send in $5 a month and make anything happen before Jesus comes back. This is going to be one of those deals where we've got to have a donor that's going to donate, you know, a quarter million dollars, $500,000. This is a big, you know, because we've got a bunch of equipment to buy and insurance and da 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 da, da. Yeah, it's, it's an expensive, it, it is expensive to us, you know, individuals, but half a million dollars to a, you know, philanthropic organization is peanuts a lot of times. If you know somebody uh, who has those kind of type of connections, let us know. We think we have a great idea, very solid that, that we could, that we could run with. Um, and you can check it all out at the Steelers Project.org. Until then, we'll see you next week. Take care. Mm-hmm.